Good morning, everyone. This is Jacob Smith, and we are live with the High School Stories podcast at Okoe High School. And today I am joined by uh, Leo, Jamal, Trenton. And joining us also today is Chief Meteorologist at WFTV, Tom Terry. Hello, fellas and ladies. This is quite a show we have here today. <laughs> I love this studio. You guys have the top notch studio I've ever seen for this. Thank you. Actually, you should be thanking Mr. Galp. He's the one who's the brains behind all this. Uh, Nice. (laughs) So uh, today we're going to be talking about meteorology because like it's it's such a huge topic you can talk about and there's really a lot of stuff to discuss. And so, uh, of course, we have a we have a meteorologist here today, so it's only fair that we ask him a lot of questions about it. So, uh, Mr. Terry, how did you first get interested in the weather? Or should I call you Tom or should I call you Mr. Terry? Tom is fine. All right. Mr. Terry is my dad. So, okay. (laughs) Mr. Terry Sr. Um, well, I grew up in Oklahoma, which is known for tornadoes and severe weather. Went to college at Oklahoma, known for football and for severe weather research. So I had it in my blood at a very early age. Um, and matter of fact, when I was very young, I got a weather radio. First of all, I did a report on weather back in the third grade, which I wish I still had. But this is back when you had encyclopedias. There wasn't a Google or Wikipedia or any of that other good stuff back then. So you had to get a book out and flip it, and I learned all about weather. And it said, see also lightning. So I got the L book out, and next thing you know, I had half the encyclopedia spread out. I did this massive report on weather, which I'm sure was third-grade quality. And, uh, but that's kind of where I got hooked on it. Then I got a weather radio, which also was an alarm clock. So this thing would go off and sound a siren as modern weather radios do today. <laughs> so I would sit there and listen to this thing and go, I'd get my map of Oklahoma and I would plot the storms. I'd run outside and mom and dad, it's coming. And I'd run back inside and watch the guys on TV. So yeah, so that's how I got started. So the child, the childlike um, weather, weather oh, kind yes. of fan, I see you. Can yeah, I-, I, got, I got three weather radios as well. I'm kind of like three? a coin. Three, yeah. And uh, wow. for Christmas, I'm getting my friends some. You're an overachiever. I, I don't know whether to take that as a compliment, but thank you. Uh, Tom, can I follow that up? So did you, would you say your parents kind of influenced your passion for this? I think they just let me run with it, you know. Uh, and I had the weather radio. I'm sure I had expressed interest because they specifically got me a weather radio. I don't remember if I requested that from Santa or not back in the day. But I also had a a Model 1 color computer from Radio Shack in 1980, which was like the very first one out. And then I had a Commodore 64 after that. So I was big into computers and big into weather all at the same time, even though I didn't have any way of joining those two things together. So I just kind of had this passion for it, and they uh, put me in Oklahoma. Matter of fact, just a very quick aside story. I'd always wanted to be a meteorologist. In my last year of high school, uh, I went to a local commuter college and did like dual enrollment and kind of lost a little bit of interest in weather. And I was going to become a businessman, carry a briefcase and fly first class or whatever business people did back then, I thought. And I had already enrolled at the local commuter school where I'd gone to uh, school while I was in high school. And we were about two weeks away from the start of the session in 1987. I'd graduated high school. I'm sitting there watching the weather and watching one of the guys in Oklahoma City, Gary England, who I grew up watching, and I wanted to be just like Gary. And he was covering some storm, and it just hit me like a lightning bolt right then that that's what I wanted to do. 
And I looked over at my dad and I said, Dad, I want to be a meteorologist. He said, son, you're at the wrong school. <laughs> so the very next day we drove down to Oklahoma and I was valedictorian in my class, very small class, but I had good grades and got enrolled and I haven't stopped since then. Wow, nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, I want to pursue a career in meteorology as well. And so another question I wanted to ask is how or what specifically should or did you specifically do to get a career in meteorology? Do you like math? Kind of. Okay. Can you do math? Yes. Okay. That is, that's the A answer. Math is probably the number one course you're going to have to be proficient in. Because when you go to meteorology school, whether it's in Miami or whether it's at Florida State or Oklahoma or Penn State, one of these big colleges, uh, math is like a river that flows through meteorology. It's a whole bunch of crazy hard math mixed in with some science, and you put it in the blender. And hopefully your brain doesn't come out scrambled in the end because that's what meteorology is. So, yeah, there's a lot of cool things you can learn, and there's so much more you can learn now online and in, than we ever could back when I was your age. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but... You're not interrupting this big discussion here. Sorry. Uh, so you said you were really interested in computers and weather. So when both of those kind of, um, I guess, genres kind of smashed together and kind of complemented each other, how did... Does that make your interest in it just skyrocket even more? Well, computers back when I was your age, uh, we had a few programs that you could, you know, maybe put together, but you basically had to do everything yourself. Basically, you sat down with a computer with a screen and a C prompt, and that was all you had. So you had to learn how to program basic, and then I learned Fortran. But uh, computers are something that I grew up with, and they are probably the single biggest advancement that we've had in meteorology in the last 20 years the supercomputing horsepower. There's a big supercomputer that is used by NCEP, the uh, National Center for Environmental Prediction, and they actually split it. There's one supercomputer in Washington where NCEP is. The other one's in Orlando. A lot of people don't know that. So if the computer goes down either in Orlando or in Washington, the other one can still run the forecast model grids that we use on TV. So computers have come a long way. But, uh, so, but I kind of had an early entrance into computers so I think that makes me a little more proficient overall. But you guys blow my doors off on that every day because you use it all the time. Very true. Can't argue with that. In a way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, this next question might be just a little bit personal. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people in this room probably don't remember the 2004 season because we were all very young. I was I was like six months when it when like Charlie hit or something. I was one year old. How old were you? I was one. Yeah, <laughs> he was, was a year old. I was just about also one. So no one really remembers going through that night. Your parents no. do. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, how did the 2004 season affect you as a person in a way? That was a career storm season for me. And uh, for those of you, just a little bit of background, I came to Orlando in 96, and I actually started working over at Channel 6 at the time. I was doing the morning and noon show and was there for almost six years. And they made a change in 2001, and... I had to go find another place to work, and I almost completely got out of the broadcast television meteorology business because after September 11th, the job market had uh, gone down in, in broadcasting, and I needed to find a new job. So I figured I'd either become a loan officer for a bank because I took a lot of math, which we talked about. I could figure someone's interest rate, right? Or I was going to become uh, the announcer for Magic 107.7 and do the morning show. I did radio, right, growing in, in college. So 
I almost completely got out of the TV and meteorology business entirely. But I took a job at Channel 9. It was the same morning and noon shift. And uh, nine months later, completely unbeknownst to me, um, I got promoted to the job that I'd always sought to be a chief meteorologist in Orlando, right? So just right out of the blue. And then a short year and a half later, wham, there comes the 2004 hurricane season. So, and Hurricane Charlie, which I think we'll talk about, was the, I think probably for me, the career-defining storm for me. And uh, so that completely changed the whole trajectory of my career. Can I ask you a question? Sure. So, because you're kind of a legend, at least to me, is there like a plaque with your name on it inside your studio? A plaque? <laughs> Best no. meteorologist. You, you know what? We have the Bob Opsall studio, though. So we have his name, and uh, I think 2018, uh, it's at, right outside, so it's the Bob Opsall studio. But I did bring a couple of props, okay? So let me tell this story of um, Hurricane Charlie, because that was kind of my career storm. So Charlie was expected to head over toward Tampa, and the whole week leading up to Friday the 13th, everyone had expected Charlie to go to Tampa. I mean, everybody was in Tampa. Every national cruiser in Tampa. We're in Tampa, Florida. Here comes Hurricane Charlie. Yeah. So everyone had evacuated, or at least not everyone, but a lot of people evacuated to Orlando to get out of the path of the storm. So Orlando hotels are filled to the rafters with people. All the people are on a sunny beach in Tampa. And that morning, Friday the 13th, I was already scheduled to come in and do the noon show because I was a new chief trying to establish my credibility and all these things. And as soon as I walked in the studios at around 10.30 in the morning, all my cadre of interns, I had like five interns, and they were all the flutter because the storm had already started turning toward Orlando. And it was no longer going north toward Tampa. It was moving a little bit toward the north-northeast and was coming toward southwest Florida. So... Um, I'm going to describe what I have in my hand here. Uh, it's a clothes hanger. It looks like it's from the 90s for some reason. Yeah, well, this is my, this is my coat hanger. I, I took this out. Okay. So I'm looking at a computer monitor, and it shows the radar of the storm, Hurricane Charlie, off of Key West. And we backed up the radar, and you could see the storm motion. So I put an X marks the spot where the storm was, say, at 7 o'clock in the morning. Now it's 10.30, so you kind of just connect those two X's and just do a straight linear line. Where is the storm motion taking it? But I didn't have anything long enough to put on the monitor and see where this doggone thing was going. So I just picked up a pencil here on the table. So I had pencils. I even had some chopsticks, right? But they weren't long enough, and they were crooked as a dog's hind leg. I mean, you, it was crooked. So what I needed was a straight edge, so I went to my coat hanger and I pulled out this little wooden dowel rod and the first one I rolled it on the table like a pool stick and it was crooked so I grabbed my backup hanger and it was nice and straight like this one so I put this stick on the monitor X marks the spot and at the top of the stick was Claremont so that is the first time I went uh-oh this thing is coming so I told my boss, and he said, are you sure? And I showed him why the storm was turning, and he said, well, get a new track. We're going on the air. Yeah. 
I, I, I was looking at uh, archive news reports and I actually found the video of you were like, um, where you like actually went against the national program, mm-hmm. I believe. And so I want to ask, like when it came to deciding if Charlie was actually heading towards Orlando, how did you approach the feeling of going against the NHC or the national programmer? I really wasn't even thinking too much about it because, you know, the Hurricanes, they do tremendous work down there, great scientists. and uh, But we were waiting. Okay, so I get to the station. Everyone's all a flutter. I get my stick out. I see where it's going. And then we're waiting for the 11 o'clock advisory to come out. That's where they put the track updates every six hours. And uh, the track didn't change. And I'm like, what am I not seeing? And I'm like, well, it's not that we're not seeing it. It's just that they did not change the track for whatever reason. So I'm like, we have to act because this thing is going to be here in like eight hours. And, you know, folks at home, it's not like social media today where you put a tweet out. Hurricane Charlie will be here at eight o'clock. You got to wait to get on TV to do this. So we did our first track and then we kind of adjusted it, I think, in the next hour and put it right up I-4. And uh, then the word got around and here I am today. Yeah, my my mom like credits you for like doing that, and thank thank you so much for like you you really were like a hero that day in my opinion. Well, it was one of those things where it wasn't like it was going left, and I said no, it's going to go right. I mean, it was pointed right at us, so it was just a matter of going on TV. But it was kind of a big deal to because the Hurricane Center is over here, and I remember actually having the Hurricane Center track on the left side and our track on the right, and of course that was coming right to the heart of Orlando. And to the Hurricane Center credit, they had hurricane warnings all up along the coast and all this type of thing. And uh, I had a rather, I had a very good lengthy discussion with them about it. And they're like, well, you know, we had all the warnings up. And I said, well, that's great, but there were three and a half million people in my viewing area who were affected directly, or at least somewhat directly. So it came right up I-4. You guys probably spent several days at home without air conditioning, right? And didn't even know it. So you all went through it and didn't even know. Uh, Tom, I wanted to continue off that perspective of how you influence uh, people's lives. And, like, personally, you've kind of influenced my childhood because I always remember seeing you on TV, and you've been a major influence. So I just wanted to ask you, how do you feel knowing that for thousands to tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people see you as an influence in their childhood and growing up? Oh, it's very humbling, you know, and it's, it just kind of continues from when I was young watching, uh, you know, people on TV in Oklahoma or people that I looked up to, like my parents and like people on TV. So it's, it's good to be able to hopefully in a positive way. So how have I changed your perspective on things? I just feel like seeing you report news um, on the television as a child, it just made me think, wow, this is this guy can predict the weather. Like he's he's some kind of magic man. I just feel like <laughs> hardly, a, yeah. As a child, it was just this bewildering experience to see someone just give you information on what could happen in the sky in a next hour or so. That's why you pay attention in class because <laughs> you never know when you're going to have to use it. But I brought another prop here. It, the the show and tell continues even though you can't see this. <laughs> is that the, is that the tie? You, so you why know. don't you describe this tie for me here? It's a red tie with a lot, a lot of markings. I'm so a, what does that say? What is underneath the name? What does that say there? Daniel D. Fasten extra long. Extra long. Okay. So for the next storm, Hurricane Francis, this was a brand new tie I just had gotten at Macy's where I go shopping, and I had worn it on this particular day, 
And as soon as I tied the doggone thing, it was like way too long. But I didn't care because I'm going to be on TV and I've got my nice red tie. Well, they had someone who called into our 1-800 helpline, like evacuations and all these, where can I find sandbags? And their comment was, my tie was too long. So Greg Warmoth comes up in a commercial break, or when we had a reporter on, and he brings a pair of scissors and he cuts about six inches, as you can see here, it's frayed on the end, the small end of my tie. He cut six inches off my tie. And I retied it, next thing you know, it fit. Who knew, right? So I reached over and I grabbed his tie, even though his tie was perfectly uh, formed for him. And uh, so that began our tie cutting. <laughs> so after every significant hurricane, I think I've done this like five or six times, we will find each other after the storm and cut ties. And that becomes a retired tie. However, I had used some, this is kind of garish, but I did have a really nice purple tie that I cut one day. I think it was Matthew. So I occasionally bring it back out of retirement if another storm is coming. Uh, I wanted to go further on that. So is can you share any inside joke within the studio that's similar to the kayak cutting? Oh, my Kai goodness. Cutting, yeah. You know, we're pretty low key. We're pretty low key. <laughs> Let me think about that. Oh, well, I remember one time, uh, this was not in Orlando, but when I was back in Beaumont, Texas, um, that um, uh, we had a reporter who was out front of the station. It was 4th of July, and they were raising the flag up out front of the station and we had a huge thunderstorm came over and just dumped rain right on top of our reporter who was a trooper it is pouring rain the water sheeting off of her hair she has no umbrella and she is still talking and it shorts out the microphone on her and the only mic that's still going is the shotgun mic which is on the camera and our camera guy has a few choice words going on at that moment and so we're all like cringing in the studio and next thing you know it completely knocked us off the air for like 20 minutes and we had nothing going on so yeah so that's just we I, it's pretty boring that's about the only really good story i can remember <laughs> i just also wanted to ask i know that brian shields is big on the tie thing does he also partake in the cutting of ties i don't think he has uh although we definitely need to get him into the next tie cutting. But of course, that means that we have, would have to have a big storm come through. So we're certainly not rooting for any tie cutting, but uh, it's just kind of one of those little side traditions that we do. Nice. Um, I'm just also curious. Um, were you here for the February 1998 tornado outbreak? I was indeed. Okay. I was still over at Channel 6 doing the morning show. Matter of fact, I slept through the event because I had to be on the air at uh, 5 a.m. So this all happened around midnight. So when I got into work, we knew something really bad had happened. And soon, first light came in Kissimmee, and it was just total devastation. Yeah. Also, I believe here in Okoe, there was an F, I think it was an F3 tornado as well. I believe so, yeah. It yeah. started over in Polk County and just roared right through. And, and uh, there are lots of mobile home communities, manufactured home communities. They're all over the map. And uh, that's where a lot of Floridians live and... and um, and unfortunately, that's kind of, they're more prone, as we know, to tornadoes. But those tornadoes were so big back then that any structure would have been uh, prone to damage. Definitely. Um, so, like, let's say when you're forecasting, like, a severe weather outbreak or, like, something like the 1998 outbreak, um, and you see, like, on the computer screen and, like, the weather service issues, like, warning after warning after warning, like, oh, flash flood warning for Polk County or severe thunderstorm warning for Orange County. When that happens, how do you manage reporting on all the information as, as the watches and warnings come in at lightning speed? Yeah, it does come in at lightning speed. Um, 
you know, generally the tornado warnings are the first ones that you're going to be touching on. The rest of that stuff is just ancillary. So, but normally once the tornado warnings start, we're continuous on TV. We're continuous now on social media, so you can get the information in a, in a variety of ways. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, I don't really get nervous anymore. My first day on the air, I was a little nervous. After that, not really. Uh, but my blood pressure goes up, shall we say, just a little bit when tornadoes come because you know how serious they can be. I think the hardest thing that I do is tornado coverage. And not, it's not the coverage that's difficult. It is the programming that's yeah. difficult because most of our tornadoes are not these big major outbreaks. They're little tiny short-lived tornadoes out in the middle of who knows where. And you have to interrupt someone watching Final Jeopardy or the ball game. or They just had this in Dallas-Fort Worth when they had the Cowboy-Eagles game and the uh, tornado came through Dallas and uh, the station chose to run the game instead of the coverage and it was a, a big problem. So that's kind of the hardest thing we do is trying to balance the viewer and, and the weather. Yeah. I, I read this report actually one time that a uh, station and like a meteorologist had a station, I forget like where it was, um, the meteorologist actually got death threats for cutting into like one, one of the games, I think. And I just think that's really just stupid. I mean, if yeah. there's a tornado in a, in a viewing area, you have to report it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you can't, you can't not like just disregard X amount of people. So that's right. Well, the FCC, it's our license. It's our responsibility as a broadcaster to give life threatening information updates exactly. uh, like severe weather. So, but again, I've been doing this a long time, and usually tornadoes are lose-lose because someone's being impacted, but a lot of people are not, and they're upset because their show's not on TV, and they're like, ah, you just want to be on TV. No, I'm on TV enough. So if I don't have to do that, then I'm perfectly okay not doing that. But if we do, then we do, and that's what we do. Okay. Um, so I think it's fair to say that you, you are like a respected figure in the community and that comes at the expense of people making a lot of memes and inside jokes about you, like on Twitter and oh, Facebook. here come the memes. And I think it is the most hilarious thing. Like I, I've seen the Tom Terry drinking game. I've, I've seen the, the, the sleeves rolled up. I've seen it all, man. So I just wanted to ask you, what's it like to be a meme in a way? Have you, has he seen that one? Go, go ahead and read that. What's it say? Uh, the meme says Chuck Norris wants to be Tom Terry for Halloween, and it's Tom Terry wearing that exact tie. <laughs> so, so memes started coming around, what, about three or four years ago? And people just started running with it. So it's, it's kind of been, um, you know, as long as you don't become a caricature of yourself, you know, that's not good. Uh, but, you know, there's a... Uh... And Tom, we trust, hunker down. Yeah, <laughs> but then I think the one you're referring to is, uh, let's see, I saved this. Do you mind if I just ask, uh, Tom, so you just have an album of all your memes? Yeah, you just got like a <laughs> No, 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 well, I just started, I, I'm like, because someone would ask me about it, so I'm like, well, gee, so I just put him in a folder. <laughs> Tom Terry's jacket comes off, better hunker down. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so I think the one you're, oh, I love this one too. A quick reference for hurricane categories, and it showcases cats for category one category two but the joke is cat one cat, cat two. one yeah. yeah 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 but i think yeah there's I, I can't find it in here the one i know you're referring to i somehow don't have but uh that's the one that the tom cherry categories right like the jackets yeah. off cat one and cat two so yeah but you know that all started in 2004 because i was doing so much hurricane coverage because we had three hurricanes in six weeks so i basically was working i had my jacket off nearly the whole time 
uh, cutting ties, etc. And so after that, I would just, when I wasn't physically doing the weather cast, but doing like a weather tease coming up, I'm talking about this, I would not have my jacket on. Well, people were like getting freaked out that I didn't have my jacket on. So they did a little bit of just kind of quick research, and they're like, people associated severe weather and hurricanes with me not having my jacket on. So they said, listen, if the weather's quiet, have your jacket on. If it's severe, take your jacket off. And it just became one of those things that people just noticed. And uh, they did a man-on-the-street promotion where they actually took a news crew or film crew and they went around to festivals and to, uh, you know, farmer's markets, things like that, where people would gather, and they just asked a variety of questions about who do you watch and all this type of thing. And when it came up, they're like, you know, when Tom Terry takes his jacket off, you know, it's getting serious or something. So it just became this thing. And so that's how the whole jacket off. And then, but sometimes I'm there so daggum long, I got to, you know, loosen the tie and roll the sleeves up. So it just kind of became this category meme. Uh, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to touch on a subject because this morning on the bus ride to school, I heard you on the radio. So WDBO, yes, sir. Yeah, mm-hmm. I heard it too. Yeah. So I just wanted to know how do you balance your scheduling of going from talking on the radio there to not doing this interview here, and kind of just as your day progresses. I have about twelve cups of coffee an hour. <laughs> no, actually, I record that the night before. Oh, uh, ah, I got you, didn't I? Just don't tell me. you were a superhuman. Just don't tell anybody. Now, when I was young, as I say, young and full of beans, when I was young, uh, I actually used to get up at 6 in the morning and do the morning radio live back when I still lived in Texas. So I could actually get up and handle that then. But now, uh, generally, I will record that the night before and kind of make it like to look live. So I got you, though, didn't I? I swear he's a magic. Don't tell the secret, though. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of already out there. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. I got a question, Mr. Tom. Have you ever embarrassed yourself on TV before? Have I what now? Embarrassed yourself? Uh, Yes. When I first, I'll tell a story. I had just barely been on TV, and I was in my very first TV market in Corpus Christi, Texas. And it was right out of college. I was like 22 years old. And we had a, a story at the very end of the noon newscast. We called it a kicker, kind of like a fun little quick story to get you out the door. Hey, everything's good. And it was a story about how they had brought some uh, uh, guide dogs or some sort of uh, dogs to like an assisted living facility. And they were, uh, they were highly trained dogs and they were helping them with their motor skills or wherever they were. So the first thing that came to my mind when we came out of the story was, well, I guess you really can, you can teach old dogs new tricks. And the uh, anchor kind of grimaced and I went, Oh, that probably wasn't, that's not what I meant. But the damage was done, and, but it was in a day before social media, so I didn't have any bad tweets or anything about that. Other than that, I try to keep my nose clean. See, now you guys are like, oh, man, you really said that? Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing about TV, though. I mean, you spend a lot of time talking. Something's going to come out that you don't intend, and that's just part of life. Mr. Tom, do you have kids? I do. I have a son who is almost 18 and a daughter who is almost 16. So she'll be on the roads here in about a month. So everybody watch out. She's a good driver, though. I wanted to ask you about that. So your kids, do they have interest in meteorology as you? Uh, no, my daughter, she, though, she, I think she wants to do something involving uh, communication or journalism or something, 
My son, uh, he's in the engineering magnet up at Apopka, but I'm not sure he's going to be an engineer. But he's really good in math, and uh, so he may be some sort of doctor or engineer, or I'm not exactly sure what he wants to do. But my daughter, I'm not sure what she wants. I just don't know. I mean, do, what do you guys want to do? I mean, you obviously are going to take over the world of weather one of these days. You'll take over for me. Well, no, no, no. That That's a sacred position. I'm No, oh, no way I'm taking that from I'm going to be man. someone ready to kick me out the door here in about 15 years. What do you want to do? Oh, I'm going military after I graduate. Oh, congratulations. What do you want to do? Uh, uh, uh. Exactly. See? I don't <laughs> Mr. Engineer, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Um, well, actually, Mr. Gallup is kind of helping me a bit with um, whenever I came into this class originally, I started, I didn't really know what I was good at until I came to this, the soundboard. And then he brought up uh, Full Sail mm-hmm. University, which we're yep. going to this Thursday. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. You guys will love so that. So I'm kind of looking into soundboard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not really sure right now, but mostly soundboard. Good, good. Well, everything starts there, and you kind of move up from there. And he'll be directing movies, or you'll be doing something. <laughs> this is fantastic. I love this stuff. There's so much more you guys are doing now at this age than we were at our age. Uh, I just wanted to quickly ask this. Um, how does it feel to be a Dallas Cowboys fan? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> That's not touched football. It's That's tough. Touched- you know, I'm rooting for the New York football giants to somehow keep the lifeline open for my Cowboys by beating the Eagles tonight. I don't know if that's going to happen. Of course, I don't know when the podcast is running, so we may have already won the Super Bowl by this point, but I severely doubt it. I seriously doubt that, too. Come on. Why could you be a Patriots fan, Mr. Taunton? Oh, my gosh. I can't handle the Patriots anymore, man. You're killing me. You're killing me, Smalls. No. But I just love, you know, football and sports bring people together. It's a whole conversation piece, and it just – Football is just one of those things. I can't really tell you exactly why I love love it, but I just love it. It's just every season there's hope, right? And there's hope. Gets dashed out the window. Even for the Dolphins, there's well maybe no, <laughs> no, no. Hey, they're not doing too. Well. I mean, the Bucks too, probably not. Uh, <laughs> like, have you, have you ever been to like have you ever been to like a bar to like watch a sports game and someone just is like, "Yo, Tom Terry, what's the weather going to be tomorrow?" Absolutely not. Really. <laughs> No one's ever done that. <laughs> You're not in a public restaurant and someone just says, hey, Tom, what's the weather tomorrow? Well, soon, Jacob, as soon as you are 21, I will walk in a bar and you will be that guy. <laughs> but, yeah, no, oh, it's, it's fun meeting people out in public and people are like, don't you get tired of that? I'm like, listen, the time that people stop doing that are the times when you have to start worrying about things. So I may have to go become that loan officer at a bank after all. But hopefully I can keep doing what I'm doing because you have to have a passion for That's the one thing I'll advise I give to anyone in high school is that you may not know what you want to do. You may even get out of college and not know what you want to do. But find something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time. Very true. Feel like dad there. Sorry. <laughs> Feel like Mr. Terry on that one. Um, I'm looking at your board over here, the oh, yeah. tornado outbreak. of Now, do you guys remember the 2007 Groundhog's Day? I remember probably not. a little bit. Yeah. Well, that was another uh, major uh, tornado outbreak. And this happened during the El Nino winter pattern. And this is something we're going to be watching every year. Anytime we get an El Nino pattern, the Pacific is warmer. It changes the jet stream. We get these big storms near Florida, and we can have kind of a similar setup that they have back where I grew up in Oklahoma. So 2007 was a big one. It was also the very first time they used the enhanced Fujita scale, the EF scale. 
uh, February 2nd was the very first storm they used that with. Is the difference between the enhanced and the regular just like the, like the wind speeds a little different, or what's, what's the yeah, difference? Yeah, the scale's a little bit different, but they actually use a lot more, um, they do a lot more uh, surveying. They put a lot of information in as to what kind of structure, like if a, if a carport or like a manufactured home or mobile home is like severely damaged, uh, it's different than if a block home is blown away. You know, so they take into account the structure and they're able to kind of fine tune a little bit more uh, the, the winds inside a storm. But also stops, I believe, at 200 miles an hour. It used to go way up higher than that, but anything over 200, everything is yeah, kind of fine. blown away that, anyway. Yeah, so. Without a doubt. Um, I just, I think we'll wrap this up pretty soon, but I just wanted to ask you. So, like, I, I really want to pursue meteorology. So, do you have any advice for any like, aspiring meteorologists out there? Well, start in high school with taking some of your math. Like, if you can take calculus, at least the first calculus, so it's not like a foreign language when you get to college, then you need to try to take calculus. I see lots of head shaking. That is going to be the number one weed-out course. We had like 95 students in my class of 1987 at Oklahoma. 16 of us made it to the finish line that year, in four years. So there were a lot of people who kind of weeded out because math was not their thing. Or they just didn't like it for whatever reason. But uh, math is huge. But math and science, and there's so much you can learn online that you can kind of get a good head start. But there are lots of good colleges in Florida with meteorology. Just make sure the school you go to actually has a degree in meteorology, not like an emphasis in it or a sidebar in it. You need a full BS in meteorology. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, this has been Okoe WX, a division of high school stories at Okoe High School, and I will pass it along for our goodbyes. Uh, this is Trenton. This is Jamal. Leo. And Tom. Thank you for listening. Good night, America.